I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday. Uh, really excited about this next segment. I want to sneak in real quick uh, a couple of our texts that came in. Uh, and one of these I'm going to actually talk about tomorrow. We were talking about the art of the pivot uh, and how politicians need to make that pivot from time to time. And this came in on the text line. And uh, this is from Ron. And Ron said the proper method to pivot is establish firm footing, move feet, don't twist the core, maintain balance, proceed in a new direction. There are so many lessons in there for life, business, and politics. Uh, we're going to break that down tomorrow. Uh, but I love the part that it's not you can't twist the core. You can't get rid of what is at your heart and soul. Uh, so love that. Ron, thanks for sending that in on the Utah Community Credit Union text line. And then I want to go to one other text because it will uh, lead into uh, our explainer-in-chief on all things congressional, James Walner. Uh, and that is, uh, this came in from uh, a texter, 56-year-old male, self-described, uh, that he said that he considered himself staunchly Republican uh, with some social uh, liberal leanings, uh, but said that there's a real disconnection uh, that he has actually changed to be independent. He said, what, this is his core issue, what happened to the fiscally responsible Republican Party. It seems like they are no better than the Democrats at controlling deficit spending. So a great text and a great lead-in to our friend James Walner from Washington, D.C. James, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, And you wrote today about this very issue of the spending addiction that is Washington, D.C. and Congress's inability to control their spending. Why is it that we cannot get that under control? Well, I, I think your listeners have, are very wise, and, and they're getting right to it, which is it appears that members of Congress and both political parties have no desire to control spending. I think that's the fundamental problem. It seems pretty simple to me. So in in your article today you you talked about uh, you talked about the uh, bipartisan budget act of 2019 and we we've had different BBAs and budget caps and and all the like uh and and why is it that none of all of those we they kind of throw in there for a little while but then everyone kind of says well we sort of need to tweak that a little bit and and usually when they tweak it they do things like raising the debt ceiling or what they did this year completely suspending it for <laughs> for two years, which is just beyond me. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
it's, it's pretty remarkable. Without getting too down into the weeds of budget process reform, which can put even um, the most uh, interested listeners and observers to sleep pretty quickly these days, it, one of Congress's favorite things to do, going back decades now, is that when the American people say, we want to change what's happening, we want to reduce spending, we want to get a handle on our fiscal situation, when, it's, when, they, when members of Congress feel like they no longer have a, a say in this and they finally have to act, they create, instead of actually doing it, instead of actually reducing spending and, and, and implementing fiscally responsible policies, they pass these intricate budget process things, these measures, this uh, legislation, that will force them to act in the future, right? They're going to pass something now to force them to do what they're unwilling to do now, but to do that in the future. That's what they do. And we see now with the latest uh, bipartisan budget act um, that that just doesn't work. Yeah, it uh, it clearly doesn't work. And, it, and it's sort of, uh, I think it was Senator Lee who described it uh, as sort of like the, uh, the old school English Bobby, you know, who uh, is not armed and and who who shouts at the thief running down the street, you know, stop or I'll yell stop again. <laughs> and it seems like that's what Congress continues to do with spending. Right. Most recently in 2011, there was a big debate. Your listeners will probably remember it. And the outcome of that debate was this piece of legislation called the Budget Control Act. And it placed strict statutory caps in the law on how much Congress in the future could spend. And many conservatives opposed that act, and they were told, what are you doing this for? This is going to change everything. This is revolutionary. This is going to control how we budget and make sure that we don't spend more money than we have. And conservatives say that you're just promising to do something that you're unwilling to do right now. And predictably enough, in 2013, in 2015, again in 2018, and again in 2019, Congress came in and raised the caps. Literally, they raised the caps that were supposed to limit how much they could spend every time they were about to take effect. And so the result is they don't really do the job. Yeah. And now we've kind of gone full circle in the, in, the, in the statutory controls of the balance of the Budget Control Act. These caps are now gone. We don't need them anymore because the 10 years that they were supposed to be in effect are going to be up in 2021. Wow. Uh, amazing. If you're just joining us, we have James Walner on the line, our official explainer in, in chief of all things Senate and House related in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're talking about the out of control spending, this addiction to spending, this inability to show any kind of fiscal discipline or even just personal discipline uh, around some of these core issues. Uh, James, I've got just about a minute left, and uh, I want to get your take uh, as it relates to kind of the political side of the House, not just the governing side, uh, but it as one of our texters uh, just shared with us, you know, it used to be that Republicans were the party that were going to be fiscally responsible and, you know, get the country's House in order, uh, and that seems to be gone altogether. This seems to be the ultimate collusion between Democrats and Republicans to keep spending. Uh, Do the Republicans risk losing a segment of their base who maybe were hanging on just for the fiscal responsibility piece of the puzzle? One would think that they've been doing this for the past four or five decades now, so it's unclear when that will happen. Look, I think one of the greatest concerns here 
is not so much that, that the Republicans are seemingly incapable of reducing spending, although that certainly is concerning for, for fiscal conservatives and people who are concerned about the deficit. But I think the bigger problem is that they say they are and then do the act exact opposite. And they create these convoluted things that to point to, like this legislation, to say, we're going to do it differently. Trust us. And all they're doing is they're confusing the American people and making it harder for them to hold their elected officials to account. And if you can't do that, then nothing ever will change. So I think your listeners are one step ahead of the curve. They're already on to it. And if you focus on what's happening in Washington and you look at outcomes and you don't listen to excuses, then you can say, okay, I like this outcome or I don't like this outcome. And if you don't like the outcome, then vote for somebody who's going to give you a different outcome. And if they don't give you a different outcome, then vote for somebody else. That's the whole point of this thing we have called politics yeah and I, I think that's such an important point because there is a there's clearly a we the people component to all of this that uh, as voters we continue to send 90 plus percent of the incumbents back to washington uh, regardless of party if they're the incumbent they tend to go back and uh, I, I think that's uh, critical that we take a look in the mirror and say if we don't like this if this really is unacceptable uh, we got to make a change, and that might be hard in the short run. Uh, but if we're going to play the long game, uh, it can definitely make a difference. You're absolutely correct. All right, that's uh, James Walner. James, we always appreciate you carving out some time for us. Uh, your insight is is just priceless. We'll continue to tap into you as we roll into the fall, because I'm sure we're going to have a few battles around some of the financial and the uh, spending in the country when we get to September. Thanks for joining us, James. That's- Thanks for having me. All right. James Walner, uh, again, great thinker, knows uh, the House and the Senate uh, like nobody's business, all the intricacies, the ins and outs. And I, I always appreciate the way he explains the process in a way that just makes sense. Uh, because the important thing is for us as citizens to understand that process and then hold people accountable for living up to the process and, more importantly, live up to the principles that they profess regardless of what political party they are in. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, we're going to tap into a little bit of best of. We're going to talk about the value of farmers, and uh, we're going to tap into my conversation with the legendary George Will. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News, right here, Inside Sources. Be back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.